1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Survival Show podcast with me, David, and Craig, where it's our job to take you step-by-step step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster and show you how to use the lessons you learn today to thrive in your life tomorrow. And I want to welcome our Ultimate Survival Tips YouTube and Facebook folks to the broadcast for the second time. Craig, in our first video podcast with Creek Stewart, it went so good a couple of weeks ago that we decided to keep it going because people really seemed to like it.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's a new adventure, so uh, I'm looking forward to it continuing to prove. I'm sure we'll do a better job today than we did the last time, and the last time was pretty daggone good.
1: Yeah, and Craig and I are social distancing today. I am in Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, people in our, uh, I mean, we we've been doing this for like a year and a half now, right? On audio. People feel like we're sitting across the table from each other, but you are actually where?
0: I am in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. It's not a state here. If you don't know the history of that, you should look it up. Commonwealth of Kentucky. (laughs) One of four uh, states in the Union, in the United States of America, that are actually commonwealths by our Constitution. So, Central Kentucky.
1: And I am in the beautiful Endless Mountains of North Central Pennsylvania which I do do believe, and you guys that are listening and watching can correct me, but I do believe that Pennsylvania is a commonwealth also.
0: I know it's Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky, I think it's Pennsylvania, and one other one, I never can remember what it was. It's one of the little ones up between between the two of us, I think. I don't know what it is. I can't remember.
1: Yeah, so if you guys like these video podcasts, just let us know. We can actually do a lot of cool stuff, and today, Craig, we're going to, take a look at a little bit of gear and things that we have going on so we can do that sort of thing in these video podcasts that we couldn't do in the audio podcast so you guys let us know what you want and we can keep doing these and bring content to you that you're really jazzed about so Craig you want to take us on from here
0: Hey guys and gals, it's our mission right here at the Survival Show Podcast to progressively increase your survival IQ so that you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you are right now at the beginning. So that's what we're going to be doing. We have been putting, man, David, we've been putting some serious discussion on COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. And I thought it would be a good idea to get back to the foundation of what it is that we've been doing, what I've been doing for a long time now, especially at Nature Reliance School. And what has been the foundation of the Survival Show podcast. And so we're going to be discussing some of those topics as we move forward today. Um, Kind of playing a game of David gets to try to stump Craig, which he loves to do. He'll probably giggle even as I say that. And see if he can throw some questions at me. Usually we have a pretty prepared set of questions to keep us on track because, man, I like to wander sometimes. But today, David's got the floor to throw some questions about mindset, skills, tactics, and gear at me, and we'll see where it takes us.
1: Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, Craig, that there's a couple of questions that I have sitting right next to me that are not in our show notes that I'm going to throw at you. Because, let's face it, one of my favorite things is to try and stump you and get you a little bit riled up enough about something controversial so you can cut loose and entertain us all. Because that's why we showed up today.
0: I got it. I was in an interview last night. It was, it was bad. I don't, I mean, I've got to get control of myself sometimes. (laughs) This guy, this guy got me fired up. I got interviewed. It's supposed to be about 30 minutes. We went for an hour and 30 minutes and 30 minutes of it by itself was me. Yeah. I went off on a tangent. Yeah. Yeah. He knew what, he knew what buttons to push. You better not get me going that way today. (laughs) Just telling you right well, now, I'm fired up about it still.
1: <laughs> so, your first quest- question, Craig, is what got you fired up in your last interview? <laughs> well,
0: it's definitely
1: not in our show notes today for- on purpose. So I don't want to go there again. All right. That sounds good, but we have some great content. This is foundational for any crisis, emergency, survival situation, including what we're all going through right now. So, but. But before we get into all this, I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. And it's kind of cool, Craig, that uh, Sportsman's Guide's been a faithful sponsor. We're taking a little break now as our other sponsors, just to make it through this whole situation we're in right now. But it's kind of cool that we've got some things going on over at OutdoorCore.com. You and I both have courses and you're you're killing it over there. And we've got TinySurvival.com as a sponsor. That's a gig that you and I are both involved in with specifically, where is it? here, right here, the tiny survival guide, and we're going to be referencing that a bit today in the show. So if you have your tiny survival guide, you know how this works. In the podcast, we do reference it, and we do that on purpose so that you have kind of like built-in notes and something that you can uh, take along with you. We've got Craig. Oh my gosh. It seems like it's been forever, but I've been retooling the MSK-1 knife now for almost two years and we just launched the website at msk1knife.com I think we got to get back to this stuff later but I can I can I've got some knives here should I just show people really quick or what do you think
0: You might as well I mean listen if you haven't heard much from the survival show podcast for a couple of weeks cuz David is insane months. about that
1: website <laughs> Oh my gosh Well we're consolidating we're moving ultimate survival tips there, tiny survivals there, the survival show podcast and msk1 uh, com is all going to a central location so you guys can find everything that we're doing over there. Uh, hey, we can put nature reliance school over there too if you want. <laughs> but okay, I'll just real quick Craig and then what we'll do, what we'll do at the end. Why don't we swing back and we'll give people some a little bit more update because okay. you're always doing really cool cool stuff and I'm I'm curious and I want people to know what you're doing. So we've got three new knives, actually four new knives. Two of these knives are made by Tops. A lot of you guys love Tops. I love Tops. I was looking for a great manufacturer to take the MSK1 knife system forward, and I wanted three new big knives. The first one, here it is, comes in this cool little kind of like antique full leather sheath. We'll talk about that more later and in Uh, future podcasts and videos and stuff. But this is called the MSK1 Primitive. The MSK1 Primitive is half the price of uh, the original MSK1. And it's cool. It's made out of 1075 steel, with which if you know steel, it's very close to 1095. Uh, A lot of friends went before we made this choice. I asked if they could tell the difference between 1075 and 1095 in the field as far as sharpening edge retention. They said if you if it was a blind test, I wouldn't know the difference. Anyway, it's a beautiful knife, hardwood handle, all the basic features of the original MSK-1. Then we have the MSK-1 Elite. Instead of made, being made out of D2, moving forward, we're going to be making these out of 154CM, and this is one that Topps Knives is working on. And what I'm showing you now is... Uh, The I I just had one sitting here that has the new version 2 handle survival kit now with 20 items in it. And, Craig, you did recommend some water purification tabs. So there's a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, the little compass kit, the little uh, last-ditch compass kit with the cork and all, I incorporated that into this version 2 of the handle survival kit. And the one that you've all been waiting for, I've been working on this for about three years, this one right here. This is an unmarked prototype right now, but it'll have the... Uh, hey, quick question lo- for you, David. Logo similar for those to this. That are, yeah, go ahead.
0: For the for the ones that are listening on the podcast and can't see what you're showing everybody, where's the best oh. place for them to go look at this stuff?
1: Okay, so they can go to msk1knife.com, where they can go to ultimatesurvival.us, ultimate survival tips or tiny survival. They're all connected. But msk1knife.com will get them there, and they can see everything in detail. Uh, this last night knife is the MSK1 Elite Warrior. Been working on this for a couple of years now. And again, it's 154 cm, but it's a triple edge. It has a uh, sharpened double edge and it has this very aggressive serration on top. It's a great knife. Again, this moving forward will be made by Tops and you can see everything over at MSK1. Dot com. Craig, do you, do you want to do any little mentions of Outdoor Core, or do you want to swing back to that at the end?
0: Yeah, that's uh, it'd be worthwhile to go ahead and discuss it now. Um, Outdoor Core we're hosting all of our o- online content, working with Creek over there at that. We've had a tremendous amount of success with particularly our Foraging for Fun, Eating Weeds course, Uh, we've got edible and medicinal trees. We've got winter tree identification, which is a little bit out of season now, but we'll be adding to it again next winter. And then we've got a, we've got a really good course on the topic we're discussing today. That's free. It's a fantastic way to get into a course for free over at outdoor core. It's called the four puzzle pieces of survival, where we discuss mindset, skills, tactics, and gear and a great way to, you know, learn how outdoor core works and you don't have to spend a dime. So jump into that and, um, yeah, I mean, I've got, another thing, I mean, if you're interested in plants, I've got a course over there called Introduction to the Study of Edible and Medicinal Plants, which unlocks the keys. And I show you the, the books that I utilize, my wife and I utilize, the apps that were that work and work exceptionally, aware, uh, exceptionally well to go out, take a picture of a plant, and you probably will know what it is. So, yeah, fantastic courses over at Outdoor Gorge. Go check them out.
1: And if you don't know much about Creek, who we're mentioning, or even Craig for our YouTube audience, you can go back and listen to our last video that we posted. And uh, Craig did a, a little bit of a background. And we talked about that and Creek Stewart also did. And uh, Creek's the founder of Outdoor Core. And it's just a great online learning platform for you to, for any, really any kind of outdoor skill. So that's cool. And I've got a little course over there too. It's a foolproof bow drill. If you've ever had a problem getting a bow drill fire, I'm going to, we're going to crack the code and you're going to do it. I'm going to show you the simplest way to get some technique and get yourself a foolproof bow bow drill kit over there at Outdoor Core. Check that out. And Craig, I think you are, (laughs) I think your courses are like the number one, you're like the number one instructor over there right now, aren't you?
0: I really don't know how I run <laughs> over there. Uh, okay. I know there's some, there's some really good people over there. There are, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm very pleased it's to be part agreed. of them, that's for sure.
1: Cool. So we, we can swing back and do some updates at the end if we feel like it. So let's see how this goes. You ready to get into this content, Craig? Let's do it. All right, everybody. So when we started developing the content for our hands-on courses uh, for survival training here in Pennsylvania, Craig was vitally a part of that. And so we co-taught with our buddy Clint Javoyne. And so what we did, uh, I'm going to say kind of like the foundational framework of everything that we did. Were based on uh, two pr- particular things, but one we're, we're going to talk about now, and it's this whole concept of mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. And we carried we carried that whole concept over into the uh, tiny guide that Craig and I co wrote together, that is available everywhere right now, doing really well. So, Craig, as we start this off, can you give people a little bit of background? Oh, and Craig, I'd be it. I. would be stupid not to mention this so this is i'm just showing you everybody your book extreme wilderness survival your book is founded off of this this whole kind concept of uh, mindset skills tactics then gear which is really backwards to how a lot of us think about survival we kind of start with gear so you want to maybe take us into this world uh, talk about this foundation and uh, and help us understand why you you chose this model and where we're going with all this
0: yeah i'm happy to uh, one of the things that was the root of mindset skills tactics and gear was that book that david just shared with you and when i when i was uh, con- contracted to write that book you know when you look at the topics of survival or land navigation or tracking or disaster readiness or whatever you know, my thought is, is there something that's missing out there? Is there something, is it worth my time to go ahead and write another book? And it's not just about, Hey, I want to make some money writing a book because there's not a lot of money to be made in writing books. But what I discovered was that there is some, some, some things missing. And the reason I came to this conclusion is that what I did is I took 200 stories, literal stories of the things that happened to people where they experienced either extreme tragedy or they experienced the death in a wilderness event. Cause my book's on wilderness survival and I listed those out. I'm a statistics nerd. So I'm always looking at statistics and go, okay, how many of these stories were caused by somebody, you know, being cocky or something? How many of these were because somebody got lost? What caused them to get lost? And so I just looked at the data. I spent, I spent months actually just, Just pouring over the data that I assembled. And then I wrote a book to solve all those problems. And the thing that came out of it that was really important was that, just as David mentioned, a lot of people focus on gear. And we can talk about that when we get to gear about why I think that's true. A lot of people talk about skills that's fire building, shelter building, and all the things that go along with it. But very few people really dig into what I refer to as mindset development and the other one, which is tactics. And we'll talk about both today and mindset being the first one. As I looked at those stories, the majority of them, you know, it would, it's my book. So it's my definition of what I saw the problem being, but more often than not, the majority of the problems could be fixed with better mindset. And so, you know, I, I just, it, it, mindset, skills, tactics, and gear is just a, it's a, a, a tactic. It's a way of teaching people that is not new to me. I, I borrowed heavily from that framework that comes from the United States military because that's a framework that works. Teaching people how to do things under stress, which is what I've always felt survival training should be is learning, you know, when people are not in a situation where they're normal, how do you handle yourself? And so that's how I broke it down in those four particular aspects.
1: So that I'm curious. Now, what I'm saying, it does. It makes total sense. So I sort of kind of know the answer to this question. But why do you put mindset first and and what's the problem with why why would people tend to put gear first? Let me, let me just ask you that question.
0: Okay, uh, gear. You know, as as far as us as humans, we're tool users, and it's what makes us a higher. Uh, if you look at humans just as being animals, okay, just a, another species of animal on the planet, uh, we we have a lot more cognitive ability than your typical animal does. And one of the things that allows us to do that, obviously, is the way that we've been designed and the way we're built. And because of that, we have the ability to use tools in a way that other species cannot do. And so we are very naturally, it's built into us, I think, to be tool users. And, and we'll get into this definitely when we discuss the brain and the mindset and everything, but because we're tool users, we're attracted to them. And so we think that a new tool might be able to offer us uh, some sort of advantage in surviving or being more readily prepared. And it quite frankly it doesn't i mean uh, we've had and david and i have done this with classes in pennsylvania and i've done it for hundreds and hundreds of students here in kentucky and all over that come in with the best gear in the world the greatest knife the greatest pack the greatest water purifier filter whatever and they're not worth a worth a dime when it comes to actually skill building Uh, They're not worth a dime if you put them under stress. They just fall apart. And so it's not the gear. It's actually a mindset that I think at least should be the foundational principle to anybody's disaster readiness or survival training.
1: Let me just throw in something here real quick, and then we'll get just back to mindset solid into that. that. I think that as human beings that are oftentimes overwhelmed with information, And feel like we have a lack of time. Building mindset, building skills, and knowing some tactics and practicing those, that all takes time. Gear takes what does gear take? It takes watching a video, thinking that you need something, clicking on a link, going to Amazon, buying something, it shows up at your door. And it gives, I feel like it, when I started this many, many years ago, I felt like a Maybe let's just say, for instance, a good knife gave me a tactical advantage before I needed to even develop some skills. And I think in the long run, that that's a pretty big fallacy, compensating for a lack of mindset or skills with gear. And I, I think you you would agree with that, right?
0: Yeah, I think mindset, skills and tactics all come first and you would find out where you are. And when you find out where you are, then you buy gear to fix the holes that you have. And we all have holes. Like, I'm not a very good flint napper. And so going into the environment and creating a a cutting tool, a sharp cutting tool, is not something that I feel comfortable doing. So I always carry a knife with me. And I designed a knife that works for me and does what I want it to do. And so I'm I love gear just like everybody else does. It's just I recognize that. I think it needs to be a mindset, skills, and tactics uh, perspective first, then figure out the gear. Rather than thinking that just buying gear fixes fixes anything, because it it doesn't.
1: I'm just going to throw in for people that are at maybe at that beginning stage of their their journey in in preparedness or developing a skills base, just to encourage them. You and I spent. Gosh, Craig, it was probably over the course of about two years, and we did put together the tiny survival guide, and and as you were saying that, I was thinking of this. I was thinking, you know what, the tiny survival guide. I mean, it it what it, it fits in your wallet, right? So it's it's actually kind of a cheat sheet for the skills, some tactics, and and even some mindset development as a training aid before. And you know, if if you find yourself, let's just say tomorrow you go out for a hike, you haven't had a chance to develop the skills. You go out for a hike tomorrow, um, you got kind of a cheat sheet if this is in your wallet. So I just wanted to mention that because I think when I started my journey down this path years and years ago, twenty twenty five years ago, um, it it felt very overwhelming to me uh, that I really just didn't have a knowledge base. So. You know, there are some tools out there that, that folks can use to kind of, I don't want to say prop themselves up, but at least give themselves some support in these areas. All right. So can you take us, If I don't know if you want to say anything about that, but go ahead and take us a little bit more into mindset. Is that what you want to do now? Take us into each one yeah, of these Yeah, ca- I, I think it'd be
0: worth, yeah, I think it'd be worthwhile if it, I, I, I think the first thing that we need to know about mindset is not just some fly by the seat of your pants, uh, imagery in your head. There, there is some things that works for your advantage. If you practice, uh, positive reinforcement in your mind and stuff of that nature. But I think just understanding your mind, our minds, our brains and how they work from a, um, genetic perspective is really important. What I mean by that is that you basically have three systems of the brain. One of them's really old. Another one's pretty old and the other one's rather new as it as it pertains to the timeline of us humans, that is. And the first part of your brain is what a lot of people refer to as the lizard brain or the reptilian brain. And that's, that's basically what most animals have. And it's just the part of your brain that gives you the ability to fight, flight, or freeze. I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful part of the design that we are, that we have the ability that under certain stresses, we automatically move or we automatically freeze and protect our head. You know, if we're falling off a building, our arms start flailing about. We don't consciously give thought to that. If we're going to fall down, we we subconsciously throw our arms out. And we're doing that to protect our heads because if our head gets smashed, then things don't go too well. We'll sacrifice, our bodies will sacrifice a leg or an arm to save our noggins. And so that's all part of that reptilian brain. So that's part of our survival and it's very valuable. Uh, The other part, the next part, is what's called the limbic system of the brain. That comes down the timeline of time as it relates to us forming and and who it is that we are. And that part of the design, uh, design, I'm using that word purposely, is there to allow us to have emotions. That's where we started looking at uh, other beings that were like us and thought to ourselves, I don't like it when that person hurts or I really care for that person. And I want the best for that person. There's a lot of emotions that happen, and that happens in that part of the brain. And then the final portion of the brain that I want to discuss, and there's a lot more to this, there's actually 14 different sections um, based upon my research. And the last part is what's referred to as the neocortex. And that's where we start having this. Ability to appreciate art forms. That's where we have to appreciate the ability to do art for that matter, do, you know, higher value math problems and stuff of that nature where we're really getting into both the creative um, and both the analytical portions of our brain where we can think and basically hold information in our brain and process it. And all of those are important to survival. They're absolutely important to what it is that we do. Now the problem, and there is a problem particularly with that limbic system is that sometimes when we get under high amounts of stress, let's say the stress of a survival situation and a perfect example going on right now is this COVID-19 people are starting to get, a you know, stress by being in cabins and cabin fever kind of attitude. And, Because of this, you know, people are acting out and there's there's uh, some serious concern about mental health in our country right now. And one way to overcome that is to at least recognize that we have these emotions and and deal with them, not try to just push them down. There's a time to push emotions down. And that's that's point of survival training. But there's also a time where we've got to address that. We can't just suppress those emotions all the time because it's going to come out in stress in some way. Uh, our neocortex, our thought, uh, processor doesn't work really well under stress. It's not really easy to do calculus while somebody is hitting you in the back with a, even a rubber mallet or something of that nature. I mean, it's just stressful. I'm not saying they're hurting you, but especially if you add in a hurricane's bur- bearing down on you or somebody's trying to kill you with a gun or their hands or something, that's very stressful. And so you don't have the ability to critically think real well under stress, and so that's why we do all these things that we do in skills building to prepare ourselves so that we can think as clearly as we possibly can in stressful situations.
1: That's really good Craig and and something that you just reminded me of and something that that I believe that um I mean it's no it's no surprise to our typical listeners that or viewers that I am a believer, I'm a I'm a Christian and I believe that one area that God's working on me in is I'm a I'm a forge ahead, no whine and complain. I stuff my emotions a lot, and I've seen the effect of this this issue on my wife. And yesterday it was it was kind of gloomy, and it it was actually snowing again here, Craig, in early May. Oh wow, the mountains of Pennsylvania. It's been like nice day, two gloomy days two nice days, a very cold day. And so my wife, Karen, was feeling really depressed yesterday. And um, I've just been getting a a much higher degree of empathy for that. And so she went out today, it's sunny today, and she came back with a couple of dozen of roses. And I'm like, you know, that is really cool. Like to her, you know, putting those in in a vase in the kitchen that's you know, faces South and it's very sunny is really important. So I think it, I think it is really important for people like me to, I don't know if it's tuning into your more sensitive side, but actually having, having more empathy and realizing that uh, the emotions are real and, you know, fears and and concerns and and all of this for years and years and years, I kind of said, ah, you know, that's just a feeling, but feelings are real to the folks that are going through them. So. I think it's a really, really good point. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree
0: more. I think as we continue to move forward through what it is that we're dealing with now, I think we need to look at the people that we love and care about. And, you know, maybe even the stranger that's around us and and see the people that are not handling this very well and see if we can help them, particularly those in our own houses that we love and cherish. Right. Um, because it's. You know, I don't want to get into some of this data that I have access to, but there's, there's some very concerning data on suicide right now. And it's, it's worthy of us to, to look at it and go, okay, that's happening. And. We can we can suppress our feelings, but they're going to come out. So it's better for us to figure out a way to communicate with those that we care about. Check on people that we haven't talked to in a while. You know, a lot of people are isolated. There's some people that don't do really well when they're isolated. So, you know, check on them, see how they're doing.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, th- I think it's really important. I mean, we've talked about survival for years, right, Craig? And we've trained people on it and and... You know, oftentimes we've thought that wilderness survival is a survival we're going to face, but things that we're going through now—I mean, these are these are real—and in one way or another, we're all going through this. Almost no matter where you're at on the globe, listening right now, you've been affected by this current situation. So, it's—I think—it's important. And another thing we've done at our trainings, Craig, and we bring up a lot in the podcast and everything we do is lessons learned. So, I think you know this is a good lesson learned, and we should continue to mine that out of this situation as it as it continues to unfold. So where did you want to go from here? Did you want to talk more about mindset and take us into? No, I
0: think we're, let's go ahead thinking about the time. Let's go ahead and dig into skills. Um, And and I was trying to lead into that a little bit already, but basically if, if you're going to start preparing yourself with skills, no matter what those skills are, whether it's just preparing yourself to stay in your home and be okay, um, you want to learn how to have a proper shelter and, and fire building and all the things that comes along with wilderness survival, then there's a method in my mind that you should go through that's vitally important. And Tracy Trimble is another instructor of Nature Reliance School. He's the one that kind of formulated this idea for me. Uh, He's just an incredible mentor for me and helped me in so many different things. But, you know, basically, if you look at, and this happens a lot with the YouTube industry, if you will, Uh, And I, you know, I have a YouTube channel. David has a very successful YouTube channel. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but you see a lot of people. If if I could summarize it, it'd be like this. You see a lot of people that get skills until they get it right. And skills should be a thing that you do until you cannot get them wrong. Whether it's bow drill fire making, uh, preparing food in your house when you uh, don't have electricity and water. Uh, whether it's, you know, setting up a, a latrine at your home because the water has shut off and you don't have the ability to flush. You know, these are all things that you should be, we all should be practicing. And that's that's what I mean by skill building is that most of the time what we see people doing in a, in a class or, you know, YouTubers and stuff of that nature is practicing skills. They get them, they do them, they play with them a little bit until they get it right. And then they make a video of it and show, oh, look, cool. That's, that's not skill building that's only a portion of skill building after practicing skills, you should then graduate into what we like to refer to as training. And that's where you start to stress yourself. You know, if, if you have to, you know, I, I always go back to wilderness skills cause it seems like it's so uh, easy to understand, but if you've got to build a fire, can you do that if your left arm is broken, tie it behind your back, and let's see what happens. Uh, If, if you uh, need to be able to set yourself up in your shelter of your home and for some reason the roof is ripped off because a tornado went through there, do you have a place in your house where you can get away from water that might come into your house? Do you have the ability to set up a primitive shelter even in your home in such a situation? You know, can you do that out in the wilderness? I don't, I don't know. If you can't, then you need to figure out a way to put yourself under what's typically referred to as stress inoculation, where you get stressed. And it helps if it's unplanned stress. Like, I can stress myself out by doing certain things, and I do that on a regular basis for my training. But it's a lot better to find somebody else that will challenge you and say, you do this, and then you've got to make that happen. And that's why we're so successful at Nature Reliance School and teaching classes, because we because we do that. We teach people skills and then we put them under stress and teach them how to overcome that stress in the midst of the skills that they're doing. And then beyond training, it's just basically continued and refinement of skin development uh, or skill development until, again, it's not until you get it right, it's till you can't get it wrong. I mean, you continue to do these skills in such a way that it's just a no brainer. And that's why I think, for example, you know, primitive trapping is a perfect example. I'll never understand for the life of me why somebody needs to teach forty different traps or needs to even know them. You know, I've I've got two or three that I've been utilizing my whole life to trap critters professionally. You know, there was a period of my life when I was a teenager before I could drive where I was I was totally responsible for trapping some animals throughout the county in which I live in and I would just you know, use snare traps and run around and play in the woods and do that sort of thing for a living, basically making money. And um so it's it's one of those things that you should you should get into skill building in such a way that you just can't miss it, if that makes sense.
1: So for people that are listening, I mean it's it's saying it looks like you've got three tiers till you get to mastery, right?
0: Yeah. And I just, and I, and I really hesitate to use it. I really hesitate to use that word mastery. I don't like that word much. I I get what you're saying. I really do. But it ends up leading to a mindset of cockiness rather than confidence. And and I'll give you a perfect example where I did this wrong. When I started utilizing, I had done some bow drill, hand drill type stuff growing up as a kid. But when we started teaching classes for nature line school, we started in 2006, um, I knew that bow drill fire making was one of the things that we needed, uh, that people would be interested in learning. And I did not feel adequate teaching people to do that. So I committed myself to a year of building two to three bow drill fires every day for a year. And I did that. And, you know, even just a few months in, I would take all my, my supplies and just throw them out in the yard. Sometimes I'd leave them in a bucket full of water overnight get up next morning boom 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 bow drill fire dude it it became automatic i mean it got to the point where i mean the, the 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 first time i ever took a knife into the environment and made a bow drill was that year and and uh i i no no cordage nothing nothing other than a knife i made a bow drill fire in 42 minutes just took the supplies from the environment made everything including the cordage boom 42 minutes Okay, and, I have to
1: stop you here. Cordage, did yeah. you use did you use like a pine root or a spruce root or something like that?
0: I actually used a cedar rootlet. Yeah. Cedar rootlets a little bit hardier than pine, so that's what I utilized. It worked exceptionally well. Um, but the the what happened was I got cocky. And I finally decided, yeah, I've got this. It's time to teach people. And the first time I was going to do it where I taught people was a school group, 400 school kids in a school. And I couldn't do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, the
0: reason I couldn't do it and I failed miserably in front of all these school kids is because I was, I wanted them to see it so bad and I let my ego overtake. I didn't want to show off. I'm not a type of person that shows off. I'm not like that. But I did really want to do this for the sake of impressing these kids with the hope that they would carry on and do skills like this as they grew up. And so, you know, ego got in the way and I couldn't do it. I mean, and I didn't. I mean, I would love to say, yeah, I finally got it, but I didn't. I never got it. I mean, it was a complete and total fail and ego was part of it. And so I learned how to even in bow drill fire making in everything I do. Is learn how to control your ego in such a way that it doesn't affect your your skills.
1: Let's dig into this ego thing, Craig, because it is it's almost like a universal principle. Once our ego starts to take over, something happens to humble us. And I know when we've done our trainings together, and I've been to several of your trainings, uh, you are uh, you will go at people that that have any sort of ego issues. Can you just can you just maybe break this down and and talk about why it's such a deterrent? what dangers bringing an ego into any sort of uh situation where your life may be in danger can be problematic
0: you can you can think of it like this i've I've tried to find a good analogy, and I don't know that this is a good one, but imagine that you're that you are a vessel that takes in information and you make critical decisions and do skills based upon that information that you're taking in. And the way you take this information in is a big funnel on the top of your head. And what happens when you get cocky is that that funnel gets a lot smaller. And it gets a lot smaller, it gets clogged up because part of your thought processes is filled with your ego and your your cockiness. And it would be you would be better served to unclog your your funnel so that you get even more information into your noggin so that you can be better prepared, have better situational awareness, have the ability to critically think. And so that's, that's sort of, you know, that's a really rough analogy to look at it, but I, you know, I do. There's no doubt about it. I will find that person that's egocentric, and I will hammer them in a class every time. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes, you will. <laughs> and, and here's the here's the thing that usually people get this, and sometimes they don't. Some people will lose or leave um, because they're upset with me over it. But the reason is because I actually put a lot of time and effort and care into the people. If somebody's going to come to me and pay me to teach them, I'm going to give them everything I've got. And I am not going to allow them to leave a class with a false sense of security. And so it's because I care about the students that come to me, both as students, because they've entrusted me as their instructor, but also for their money. You know, a lot of times people spend a lot of money to come to a class and I don't want them to waste their money. I want them to walk away with a usable skill set, even if it doesn't make them uh, feel super cool about themselves. I want them to be better prepared when they walk away from me. And that's what they pay me to do. It, they don't pay me to be a life coach. They pay me to be a survival instructor. And again, here's the, the sad part of it all. I looked at the stories where people died and literally watched their kids freeze to death when I wrote that first book. And part of the reason that some of that happened was because of ego. And if I can help people control their ego, then maybe, just maybe down the road, if there's a situation where they're looking at their child that's dying from hypothermia, they can set their ego aside and actually get done what needs to save their child. And so from my perspective, teaching people how to control their ego, even if I have to take them down a notch or two, is worth it
1: to me. Man, Craig, you're just making me want to Bring you back up here. It's been a couple of years since we've done a course up here in Pennsylvania, and, and get at that because a lot of the uh, surprises that you've talked about, and a lot of the training, has been really fun to participate in with you. So maybe if you guys are interested, let us know. Maybe we things will be cleared out to be able to do something up here at the camp in uh, in the fall. I like this whole funnel example too, Craig. How we when ego gets in the way, we stop taking in the vital. Uh, situational awareness, avoidance information, listening to other people is a huge one. Listening to people on your team or that that care or that are reacting around you can really be a, a problematic uh, in situations. Uh, do you want to get into that? Uh, talk about, oh, you know what? Before we move on from skills, I just want to mention that we've been talking about the courses that we've done. Uh, and I'm not mentioning it for any particular reason, except that we... We have taken the trainings that we've done, and you talked about just a, you know, three or four different traps. The Tiny Survival Guide, basically, we've taken a lot of the information that we've, we've honed over time together in, in our training courses that you've honed over a longer period of time, and we boiled that down so that only the essential information that the people can start with to develop a skill set is in the Tiny Survival Guide as as a place to start People can go in there, uh, take a scan through it and find an area of weakness or an area that they're interested in develop and start using the guide as a as a tool to do that. But for our folks that are maybe newer to all this, what are maybe one or two skills that you would recommend them just so they're not overwhelmed with this whole uh, concept of survival and there's so much we need to know? Somebody that's new, where would you tell them to start as far as maybe a, a skill or two to uh, develop right off,
0: you know, it seems really simple and it is, and I love simple, but uh, it's just learning how to dress properly. Uh, that would be one that of the things that's
1: not what I thought you were going to say. Wow, you know, okay. it's not.
0: I mean, I'm starting to, I'm, I've changed a lot of things and I'm continuing to grow and, and learn, but there is, it seems to be that people need to pay attention to the weather when they get up in the morning. It used to be that people would talk about the weather and they would talk about directions of roads all the time. You hang around about, I was out uh, punching cattle yesterday with my dad and my uncle, my uncle's close to 80 years old. My dad's 65 or so. And um, you know, you sit around with older gentlemen like that in rural Kentucky and inevitably there's going to be a discussion about how you get to this town and which road do you take? And those discussions happened all the time where people are talking about how you get places and basically what they're doing. And there's there's a fantastic podcast on the art of manliness on this. topic. I love listening to art of manliness where we as a culture, we as a people are starting to get away from the ability to be spatially aware where we are in the world and You know, those two things, which is just basically understanding where you are in the world and how to get to different places without using Google Maps and to also dress properly are two things that due to our modern world where we go from a house to a car, from a car into our office or our school and then back again. And we don't have to deal with the elements is, you know, some of the fundamental things that I think everybody needs to 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 be better prepared on. Um, You know, I'm. You know, it's more of an esoteric answer, but situational awareness is the other thing that I highly recommend that people be able to to get better at doing. You know, a game that I play with my kids when we when they were younger, just to teach them to pay attention to their surroundings, is you know, when we're sitting down in a restaurant, everybody that is tactically minded typically will know where their exits are and stuff like that. But I would ask questions like, "How many people have walked into the restaurant that were?" Um odd. Well what's your definition of odd? Okay, then we process that. Okay, how many people have walked in the restaurant you think that were carrying a gun? And here in Kentucky, that could be, you know, twenty percent or that could be eighty percent. And are they how how do you know how do you know he was carrying a gun? And so it was just situational awareness. How many cars did we pass from the house to school? My kids weren't home by uh, a public school. They were homeschooled. But how many cars did we pass from our house to the school that were red? And it's not that I would be able to get the right answer. It's just were they paying attention to their surroundings is all I'm trying to build. And you can play games like that all the time. Like, hey, how many cars am I going to pass on the way to work today? You know, if you live in a big city, that's nearly impossible. But but still, you, you get the point. Find a way that you can pay attention to your surroundings. Those those are three big ones is, you know, our proximity in the world, knowing where we are, dressing properly, and just having good situational awareness as a whole. Uh, you know, it was, it was absolutely tragic, man, those stories. I go back to the book and the 200 stories I put together for extreme wilderness survival. It's absolutely tragic. There were two stories in there where people went on vacation and, and it was almost exactly mirror images of the same story where they're wearing like dress up clothes, like going to work clothes, things like dress shoes and stuff of that nature. They're driving in the Rocky mountains, go off the side of the road, get stuck. One of them got stuck because of a, a snowbank, got them stuck. The other one got lost, simply lost on a, on a back road that what I call, um, uh, death by GPS. And, and the, what ended up happening is that the people in the car started infighting, which is what we're going to get into next, which is tactics. They started infighting and, and bickering and arguing with one another so much that one of the people got out of the car and, or out of their vehicle and tried to go save the day. And the person that left the vehicle is the one that died from hypothermia. Both times, the people that stayed in the car lived. But the catalyst that pushed them out of the car, which basically was the catalyst that to push them to death was an inability to communicate effectively and improper gear. They were walking around, one guy was walking around in penny loafers in snow that was thigh deep. That's stupid. And he should have known that. But he didn't know that. He didn't have this mindset right, and he didn't have the ability to communicate, and he definitely didn't have the right gear. So it's, you know, it's a it's a puzzle. And you gotta use all four pieces of that puzzle.
1: I think that's a really good Good background on mindset, skills, and getting into tactics. This just kind of reminds me of of some gatherings, and, and Craig, this is this is maybe the uh, stump the Craig part. I'll just give you a little heads up here because this is not in our notes. So I've been seeing these gatherings with these tactical Tim- Timmy looking operators with red <laughs> camo clothing and and face masks and and you know full blown tricked out ars this is what we're talking about right as far as tactics uh, no
0: no that's not what we're talking about at all <laughs> and i know you're joking about that but but it's it's one of those things that we tactics is just like a it's like a dirty word for some people that are anti-gun but tactics really defined as nothing more than a strategic way to come to a particular end and obviously that's get utilized in law enforcement, military circles, but it can be utilized in your home with your family of four too mom, dad, and a couple of kiddos. And what I've utilized the concept of tactics, as, you know, a strategic methodology of coming to a particular end is how do people work together, communicate effectively, how do leaders act and lead in situations that are stressful and stuff of that nature. And so, you know, f- perfect example. And this is one of the things that David is probably alluding to with training is that when people are doing things, I will get up in their grill sort of like a drill sergeant on occasion and go, "What are you, that's stupid. That was a bad decision. You're dumb. You're making bad decisions. Now that is not the way to effectively communicate to other people. You basically have attacked them as a person. And at that point they're defending themselves as a person and can't look at the overall picture. And so what I try to do is impress people to look at and what I refer to as focus on the situation, the issue, or the behavior, don't focus on the person. So if somebody's trying to set up a tarp and they've set up a tarp in an inappropriate place, there's a widow maker above them, I don't go over to them and go, Yeah, that's stupid. I can't believe you do something like that because that defeats the person as a person. What we need to do is look at that situation going, Man, I really like the effort you're putting into this shelter, but I'm looking at this whittlemaker and that gives me concern. So how what do you think about us moving? And obviously, this is for families. I'm not talking about, you know, your ODA team in the middle of Africa doing behind enemy lines operations, you know, special force. I'm not talking those those guys are the best of the best when it comes to that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm not a I'm not one of those guys. I'm just a family guy, a wife and a couple kids, right? A lot of people uh, are, are like that where they, they may even be solo and they want to just do tactics with their neighbors. The, the guy that lives in an apartment next to them or the gal that lives down the hall or their neighbor that lives across the cul-de-sac or the neighbor that lives down the road because they're, you know, you've got 20 acres that you live on, whoever it is, when it becomes disaster readiness, there's a good chance that you may have to work with others. And so being able to communicate effectively is going to be vital to making that happen
1: appropriately. That's good, Craig. So one thing that I just thought of, there's probably some folks out there, if we're really honest with ourselves, that uh, are reactionary when they deal with people, especially when under a stressful situation. Maybe being critical, pushing people away, uh, being you know just shutting people down, things like that. Just as far as helping people who, who may self-identify as that person, what are some Tips that you could give them.
0: Well, I mean, the big thing is learning that for for survival, one of the big things is understanding that there's a big difference between leadership at work and leadership in a stressed out survival situation. It's what I call under extreme stress leadership. And there's a there one book. I mean, there's several books. I've read a lot of books, but one of the best is called. Let me think about this a second in extremist leadership. I think the author's last name is Koontz. I'm pretty sure it's Koontz and I don't know how to spell that. Um, and that book basically takes several different uh, avenues of recreation and warfare. One of them being skydiving, one of them being um, some skiing, another one being a, uh, battlefield tactics. And they looked at people that lead others that do these activities. And how do you handle teaching people under stress? How do you lead people under stress, and and there's so many self-help book and leadership books out there about how to conduct yourself in the business world, and they're and they're good. They're they're good for that purpose, but don't think that those books are good for um, survival situations because there's a huge huge difference in, in extremist leadership. That book, in extremist Latin, in extremist leadership, is. The big difference is that in what I call the boardroom versus the battlefield. And what I mean by that is when you're making decisions in the boardroom at work, whatever kind of decisions those might be, the thing that typically that you're talking about that could be problematic is the bottom line. You could lose some money. There's a huge difference between the way people make decisions where it has nothing to do with money, but has everything to do with somebody's life is hanging in the balance the type of decisions that officers, non-commissioned officers make in the military on the battlefield compared to in a boardroom. So you and, and a lot of what happens and I'm seeing some people that are doing this is that they're teaching or talking about leadership from a survival perspective, disaster readiness perspective, and they're just mirroring methods, methods like the seven habits of highly effective people, which is one of the best books on leadership development. In the world. I mean, it's so what, 40 million copies or something like that. I don't, it's, it's insane. And that doesn't necessarily translate well when people's lives are hanging in the balance. And so, you know, it's, if you're trying to make decisions and you don't want to lose a hundred thousand dollars, that's one thing. But if you're making decisions and you don't want your child to die from hypothermia, it's a totally different way. And you've got to know how they how your mind works. That's why I broke the mind down in those three sections, is understanding when one of those sections is taken over and your neocortex doesn't have the ability to consciously think. And that's a problem. When you recognize that, you've got to take the steps necessary to change that so that you, uh, you're you better prepared to make appropriate decisions.
1: A couple other resources that might be really helpful to people, and I, I think you would agree, is Almost Anything by Jocko Willock. And I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, extreme ownership, extreme leadership also. And he's got a podcast.
0: Yeah. I listen to Jocko regularly. I can't make it all the way through those, man, those are long podcasts and, and, and I'm not saying they that they're not good. Every bit of it's good. It's just, man, I just don't have the time to set aside to listen to them all. Uh, I have read his books. I've read three of his books. They're fantastic. Absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, and they're popular right now and he's, he's modern and a lot of people talk about it. So you can actually, one of the beautiful things about a book like that, the book that I recommended, you know, what I did is I have a mentor that was special forces in the military and I wrote him and said, Hey man, if you could recommend one book that would teach me how to lead people under stress, what would it be? And it was that book. That's why I recommend nice. it. Uh, Jocko I'm was special forces. My, <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put that in my, in my, uh, audible account that's how I read Oh yeah, books. it's a
0: good one, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, thanks.
0: And Jocko himself was special forces, and so when you learn from somebody like that, you're learning from somebody who's had to make critical decisions where lives hung in the balance. One of the latest podcasts I listened to was where Jocko was, was leading a podcast where he knew that he made decisions where people died, and mm-hmm. he talked about the agony of that as well as, you know, he didn't let it just stick him in a hole and not come out of it. He he utilized it to inform him. So he did not do that again. And so listening to people like that, that have been in the critical decision-making process where people's people may die, I, I think is incredibly valuable to, to survival. It's survival, right? It's, you know, we, we, a lot of people tend to look at survival as a hobby, bushcraft, especially mm-hmm. as a hobby, And, uh, well, they don't look at it, but it is, that's the way they treat it. It's just, you know, it's glamping, it's camping with, you know, bring a steak and put it on a grill kind of thing. But realistically survival when done right is learning how to deal with that kind of stress. And I can't, and I know this is an oxymoron, but I cannot stress that enough.
1: (laughs) All right. So you didn't take the bait at the beginning of the section on tactics, but we did promise people that I would try to stump you. So, I'm not sure I'm going to stump you, but I might row you up. We'll see with this question and this okay. is not in our yeah. notes. I did mention these uh these uh protests, rallies, whatever you want to call them. And yeah. I, you know, the pictures that I've seen of of these dudes that have masks and they have uh, you know, they they've they're open carrying and and being very uh overt about that. Can you just tell us your thoughts? What do you think of of that whole approach to protesting?
0: There's part of it that I absolutely love, and there's part of it that I don't care for at all. And that is that I love people exercising their liberty here in this country. It's the thing that's made us great as a country. And anybody wants, and I'm not trying to get on the Trump train by using the word "great." Uh, just if anybody's thinking that, then back off. Uh, our country is great. We feed most of the world. We literally do. And it's because of the, the wealth that we have here, our farmers and what it is that we do here in this country. The grain that we send into Africa feeds most of Africa. It literally does. And anybody that does not understand that is you need to get your head out of a hole and, and pay attention. And so, Liberty is part of the thing that's made us what it is that we are just strong, powerful country. I love it when we exercise our constitutional rights. I really do personally, though, I think we need to do everything we can to avoiding even the resemblance of utilizing violence to continue to move our thoughts forward. Uh, You know, there's a famous saying that, keep your plans quiet. And then when it's time to unleash them, let them unleash like the crack of thunder or some variation of it. I can't remember. It's something like that, meaning, Hey, you're just a quiet, average, ordinary person. And all of a sudden, when it's time to get down to business, everybody's looking around going, Holy mackerel, what happened just happened. Craig just unleashed on people, you know, some variation of it. And that's, that is part of what I think we should be doing. I think we should be doing everything that we can to get our opinions across protest because that's the beauty of our constitution protest without the demonstration of violence as part of it, meaning not carrying rifles and stuff of that nature. And then uh, if or when there ever comes a time where violence is the last ditch only answer, then, then we have to use it to, to defend ourselves. And so you know, that's maybe riding the fence sort of answer, That's, but that's where I am on it.
1: I think that's really helpful, Craig. So I'm looking at the time. We're almost at an hour, and we've been through the basics of mindset, skills, tactics. We've got gear here. Do you want to go ahead and, and get into gear? Do you want to come back next yeah, time? Yeah, I think we can. What do you think? Okay.
0: Cool. No, let's go ahead and knock it out. I think
1: it's it, it's simple enough. I think people will get it. So let, I I think we can get back to the three sections of the brain then and kind of relate that to Gearty. What do you have to say about that?
0: You know, so yeah, I think we can. Uh, Basically what we've got to understand again is that reptilian brain is just going to fight, flight, or freeze. Okay. And we need to understand that. And when we have emotions, we need to be able to control those emotions. And then we need to utilize that cognitive thought, that ability to consciously give thought to and critically decision-make on what's going on in front of us. And what happens is we may be able to see a situation and go, you know, my body does not do well in cold weather. And so I need to have better gear than your typical person for cold weather. And that's where we, you know, we recognize utilizing our neocortex to, say, just like I mentioned earlier about a knife, I I feel like I can't make a knife from the environment very well. So I always take a knife with me. Uh, I actually do sleep rather warm when most people are cold. I'm like, I'm doing just fine with just a light blanket typically. And, and so I understand what my limitations are, what my advantages are and where I have limitations, then I've got to find gear to make up for that. You know, perfect example, you know, we were talking about this in a Nature Reliance School Facebook group the other day. I'm 51 now. I've got some fairly problematic knee and hip issues due to doing judo for too long. I use uh, walking sticks now, you know, trekking poles when I'm out doing my rucking. And I, you know, I've avoided that for a long time simply because, you know, I thought it was sissified. I didn't think it was, you know, manly looking to use those trekking poles and all things going along with it. And what I found myself doing was not rucking anymore. And so I got the trekking poles to see if it would make a difference and man, they did. And so now I get to ruck again. So, you know, I had to add a gear piece. I'm not saying it's from a survival perspective. It's just be open to looking at what your limitations are and then finding gear pieces to fix them. Does that make sense, David, what I'm saying?
1: It does make sense. I think that's a really, I think that's a actually a helpful way, instead of listening to maybe uh, a system of what you really need to know, get out, uh, do some things, even, well, here's an example. So we're all going through this, uh, transitioning through this whole pandemic and lockdown and stay at home and, and everything else. I have a sense that this is not the last time we're going to face something like this or something that's, that's uh, more universal uh, as far as what we would consider survival, right? Right. And getting back to what we've talked about so far, I think it's important to have a significant awareness, even taking some notes, writing some things down where, um, let's just put it this way. As bad as this pandemic, as bad as this lockdown, as bad as everything's been, this is about as good as a situation like this is ever going to be because we've had electric, we've had communication, we've had clean water, we've had a a generally uh, sufficient supply chain, we've had food coming our way, and we've had general societal stability, right? So I think it's really important to look and say, what if one of those elements was taken out? We've seen this whole cascading effect right? through this, this whole thing where one thing has an unintended effect or an unknown effect on other things. What if you took just one of those things? What if the internet went down? what would that affect? What if the economy Dude, if you took, w- wasn't built? If
0: you took the internet or the electricity down and people didn't have extra their phones and Netflix during this, it would have been a totally, totally different situation full of yep. anarchy and chaos, in my personal opinion.
1: Yeah. So just taking this, if we're going to take a, talk about gear, just taking this situation, which is is a plausible situation now that we've been through this, or something like this. Just take where we're at now, take one of those elements out or look at your family preparedness at home in a comfortable situation in a place that you know and really evaluate that. This has all forced me, Craig. I'm, you and I are both really pretty well prepared, but I've identified significant gaps in sure. my own preparedness yeah. here yeah me too backup backup of a backup power i've got a backup generator to my backup generator <laughs> <you know>? right <laughs> and it's just going to sit there and be maintained and be ready to go <clears throat> in the event that my backup generator doesn't work because i'm in a situation although we've cultivated a spring and a stream here that uh, fortunately has worked out really well for our livestock and chickens here uh, our our primary water source comes from three hundred foot down in the ground, so i'm somewhat dependent upon electric to draw that clean water up so <clears throat> electricity for us is really important and we've got we've got multiple freezers and refrigerators here too, so being able to take that food and transition it into canned or smoked or something like that would take us a while. So having backup power here was essential for us. So that's just one right. thing in our situation. Maybe I'd be interested Craig in here maybe one, one area that you found as far as a weakness in your preparedness that you've, you've uncovered and you're working on.
0: It's water. Same exact thing. It's really interesting that you brought it up. It's, it's water. I don't have, um, I did. I did not have what I would consider sufficient water supplies. If, if the electric went out, mm-hmm. because if the electric goes out, then the water company's not continuing to clean water, and so you have a, an incredibly limited supply of water. And so I recognize that, man, I just don't have it. And I've got. I've always had some backups in my mind about okay, if it gets worst case scenario, you know, there's there's some water that's very nearby where I live that I could go to and get water. And it would probably, it would, well, not probably, it would be definitely something that I would have to filter and clean, but I could go get water. But if I didn't have to go, then I would prefer that. And so I recognize I've got to come up with some better solutions for water here at my house. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Man, people forget water and how important it is, David. Golly, everybody's got to pay attention to that.
1: We did a whole podcast. What was it? Maybe podcast mm-hmm. sixty or sixty one, where we talked about, hey, so what if sanitation and water, and just basic basic ability to uh, service your wounds and things like that, was not there? How would things look? And how do you how can you shore things up? So I think that was I think that was maybe. F- podcast 59 people want to go back to the audio podcast and take a look at that but that's really (laughs) did you just pull that up how do you
0: remember that stuff did you just pull that up at (laughs) that i
1: did just pull it up i could be wrong i could be wrong (laughs) but i uh, i just have a general sense of where we're at try to do that so i i think that's a really good maybe action step craig because because i really want to i really want to get into as we move forward looking at the lessons learned from this situation that we're in that's not a theoretical situation now and and start mining out some lessons learned and some things that we can take away and do now to be better prepared tomorrow we've got we've got several other cool things here that i, I think you'd be intrigued with um, as far as like even even uh, resources that you buy in in the store that would not be available for instance things you want to be looking at things that don't uh, grow in your area and you know, what's that going to be? Mm-hmm. It's going to be sugar, coffee, salt might be hard to get. Anyway, uh, we're beefing up our bee hives here. i um, doing a series on how to set up an apiary and we're, I've got a kit and a box where we're going to build a beehive. Um, we're, we're working on the ability to make our own disinfectants through uh, doing some uh, dis- distillation here. So, you know, there's some really intriguing things that even if you're really, if you're out there and you feel like I am really, really prepared, there's always another level that you can do to prepare your family, be, uh, uh, have resources that you can share with other people and all that sort of stuff. What else did you want to talk about now as far as gear?
0: No, I guess a, a good summary would be just a brief discussion on what a lot of people call the 10 essentials. And we don't have to break those down because I think we've talked about them in the past. But, you know, Baden Powell, the founder of the Boy Scouts, was the originator of this idea of 10 essential items that we should take with us in the outdoors. And there's some other people that have uh, continued on riding on his coattails, standing on his shoulders to promote that concept. And it's it's a it's a fairly good concept. But I would just caution people that it is definitely a gear based concept. And and I hope by listening to this podcast, you realize that gear is is one of four pieces of the puzzle, and it's not the most important piece of the puzzle. It is probably maybe not last, but it's definitely not first. Mindset development is first, and so don't get tied into a uh, an a list of ten essential pieces of gear and think if I get those things, I'm taken care of. Because you're not. You've got to have the mindset, you've got to have the skills to utilize those gear pieces properly, and you got to have the ability to work with others. And so um, I'm a big fan of making sure whatever gear pieces you have, if you take it back to skills building, you practice with your gear. You know, if you if you have a survival or a disaster readiness kit and it's not well used and dirty, then that's a problem. You need to get those tools out and utilize them. If those tools are band-aids, you need to make sure that the band-aids that you have in your first aid kit work. You know, yesterday we had an incident when I was, again, helping my father and my uncle uh, work cattle where I had to, like, everything's going fine. And then, bam, all of a sudden, I think we've got somebody with a broken arm and we've definitely got somebody bleeding. And we got to fix that out in the middle of the farm. Well, my first aid kit goes everywhere I go. So I went to my truck about 20 yards away, got my first aid kit, fixed this person up, and now we're good to go. And so, you know, it's good to have that. It's good to have that and know that it's a useful kit. And when I opened it up, it was really interesting. When I opened it up, I didn't have to look for everything because, heck, that's the kit that I take to survival training. And I use it all the time and teach people how to use the stuff in it. And so I was intimately familiar with it, knew exactly where to go. I knew exactly what needed to get done because I've trained that way several times and many times. And I think that's valuable. I think that would be it. I think we can close it up, David, so that we don't go too much longer.
1: So maybe we'll get into those next week. Maybe, maybe we can talk a bit more about gear. That'd be cool. Uh, Tiny survival guide. Uh, I've been kind of tracking along with what we've been talking about in this podcast, in the, in the guide that I've got right here. And in the guide, we've got, what is it Craig like 20 23 24 uh, actual gear checklists that go along with the the skills and the mindset training for each category so that's a helpful thing to do but i think this has been a really a really good discussing discussion i think this has been a really good discussion getting back to some of the basics that we really need to consider to have kind of like this universal overview so that no matter what the situation we're uh, equipped with, I'm going to say it like this sort of kind of a system to uh, kind of keep us on track and and how to, uh, what to develop first and, and what types of things are, are the highest priority as far as our own personal development. So I know I've learned a few things from you today, Craig, and I'm sure our listeners have too. Awesome. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, man. Why don't you take us out?
0: Hey, everybody, subscribe to the podcast now. Seriously, for those that are seeing us on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast over on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Play or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Love to have you join us over there. We've got, man, we've got so much content over there. It's crazy. So you're probably finding us maybe for the first time on video. So go check it out. There's a ton of information there, an absolute ton of information. So we really appreciate you giving us a five-star review. If you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook, then give us a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a like on Facebook and all the things that go along with it. We really appreciate you doing that, that, that kind of stuff you all. I'm serious. That kind of stuff is invaluable to helping us move forward and, and do what it is that we're doing. Uh, share it with your friends on social media. It doesn't take much share, type in some friend's name or put it in a group, man, love for you all to share videos from this sort of thing in the groups that you're uh, part of. And uh greatly appreciate everybody that's already been doing that. It's just overwhelmingly good stuff that our supporters have been doing for us and we really appreciate it. So don't forget all those sponsors that are coming around, Tiny Survival, MSK1, what is it, MSK1Knife.com,
1: David? Yes, MSK1Knife.com. Yep.
0: Yeah. Go check that out. And uh I've been on there. Hey, I got the inside look on all that stuff. It's pretty cool. I've been looking at it for a while now. So go check it out. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Outdoor core for the courses that I mentioned earlier. I'm Craig Cottle, Director of Nature Reliant School with David today from Ultimate Survival Tips. You know what our motto is here, right? Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.